Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. Good morning. How are we feeling? Good, good. Hey, can we give that for a live stream? I don't know if we've made some noise for them this morning. Welcome, welcome. You know, I hear every week, like, hey, I listen to you, I watch you on live stream, so I just want to say, I'd love to see you in person. So, hey, hello. Uh, but come on down, because this is a good group of people, right? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Yes. Yes. And if you're a guest here, if you're a guest here, we are so glad you're joining us. We are in a series about faith. And really, it's a, it's a series that I've really enjoyed speaking on because it's challenged me. I think it's, re- it's very relatable because I think all of us are praying about something. I mean, could it be possible that maybe someone's not praying about something? I mean, I'm sure a lot of us are praying about some things, and you wish it would, they would really happen. Anybody, make some noise if you're like, I need, I need something to happen. I need something to happen, right? right? Anybody need something to happen, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Because we, we, we we're trying to figure out what God is up to. And so this series has really been great because we are in week four of this conversation, and we've been going through what it means to live a life of faith. What does it mean to uh, re-identify, in a sense, what faith looks like? And so we spent some time in Hebrews chapter 11, if you remember, and Hebrews chapter 11 kicks off starting with a definition of what faith is. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things we do not, do not what? See. And week one, we talked about the reality that most of us, if not all of us, we don't need faith if we are n- there's nothing to hope for. Like, you don't need your uh, faith to be activated, and you don't, you don't need to act on your faith if there's nothing to hope for. Because if, if it's the evidence of things hoped for, and if you find yourself in a place, in a season maybe, you feel like, I'm trying to figure this out, college was crazy, but now I'm like in this single season, I'm not quite sure what to do here, and you're like, you were hoping things would work out a certain way during your college years, and yet now you're like, you find yourself in a weird space, you're like, I'm not quite sure. Maybe some of us, I was talking to a person recently talking about how they, you know, were engaged for a year, and then the, after engagement for a year, it just fell apart. That's tough, isn't it? You're hoping for something, and then it falls apart. And you're like, oh, no, no, I don't know. So many of us hope for so many things. And then when things don't work out, we lose, um, we lose hope before we lose any kind of faith. And so what would it look like for us to reimagine what it could be possible that if we, we hoped again? So really, that's why we call this series The Expanse, because what I'm trying to do is just expand um, expand our mind in a sense where expand our faith, but it starts with number one, erasing some of the boundaries that hopelessness has put around us. 
boundaries that say, you know, I'm not going to go this way. I'm not going to hope this much. I'm not going to pray or believe this far in advance. I'm not going to do, I'm not, not going to go for something this big because I'm not quite sure if it'll work. I want you to erase that boundary in your life. And then I, wanna, I, I want you to, like, I want, I want you to um, expand your imagination. Imagination of maybe, maybe my life, maybe our life could, could move in a very different direction. And then I want you to activate the faith that you have. Because again, we need faith if we're hoping and believing for some things. And so what we've been doing is we are d- deep diving into um, Hebrews and uh, chapter 11. And if you haven't been a part of this conversation, you just tuned in, you're just watching, you haven't been here physically even, you can go back and watch all of those. Because what we're doing is, is we're going through that passage. And in that passage, the apostle Paul, not the apostle, the, uh, the one of the Actually, he was apostle. Yeah, he was. I'm like, disciple? Apostle? You know Paul. You know that guy. Okay. He's been uh, mentioning certain people's faith. And so we've been talking about those certain people. And today we find ourselves uh, talking about Abraham's faith. Abram's faith. Abram's faith, if if you are really Jewish, like Abram's faith. Um, And then that faith moved him into Abraham. It changed his identity. What does Abraham's faith um, tell us? Like, what could it speak to your situation and my situation as we look at our lives? Like, could, could Abraham's faith and his relationship with God speak to us? I believe it can. And so it's connected, though. It's connected to really whose hand you're holding. Yeah, whose hand you're holding. Because Abraham held God's hand throughout his spiritual uh, life. And so I would just wonder, as I was thinking about this, you remember the last time you held someone's hand? Was it this morning? Was it this morning? The, the, you, would you agree, though, that when a relationship changes as soon as you grab the person's hand? Right? It changes. Have you ever been held, like, some, have someone tried to hold your hand, you're like, no, 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 it's too early. We haven't had the talk. Right? It, this is in public. We haven't identified this. What, what's, what's going on here? No, because there's a sense of, I hate to use the word uh, possession, but it's just like, you're mine, I'm with you, or you're with me kind of thing, right? It's one of those. Now, I got in trouble twice for trying to hold someone's hand. Number one, is this is in, back in Kuwait. So if you don't know, I grew up in the Middle East, and they have Muslim law, Sharia law, which they have like, they have like religious police, I kid you not. Religious police. And I was holding a girl's hand, okay? We were a thing. I think, I think we were a thing. I'm not sure. Anyways, we were holding hands. It was going to become a thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> also, I was 12. Regardless, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And she was my cousin, those of you who are haters. Not my cousin, <laughs> all right? I know. So, but she's, she was Indian. And anyways, you know, so she, we're walking the streets. We got busted. They're like, uh, why are you holding her hand? And at first, I was like, okay, she's my sister. That's what I was going to say. But I'm like, no. So is she related to you? No, no, no. Almost got arrested for holding because it's just, it's just a different kind of world. There. Even now, there's religious police. The second time I got uh, in trouble, I think, I don't even know if Ashley remembers this. The, the, is like, is that, that he, I don't know what it is, but I like to hold people's hand when we're crossing the street. Especially, I don't know, maybe it's a tear, caretaker in me, but I'm like, let's hold hands. And, and I'll help cross the street. And for the longest time, we would do this. We'd cross a side, like a street, and I'll try to hold her hand. And she'd be like, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> like, she was like, am I, am, am I a kid? I'm like, no, you're not. You're a grown woman. I just feel like we need to hold hands for this. 
If we're going to die, we're going to die together. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. Ride or die. <laughs> but it, was, it did not. And now from now on, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Here's, here's what's funny about this. I think that you and I are led in life by the hand we hold. Spirit, uh, like spiritually, for sure. Physically, even. The people's hand that you are holding or the people who are holding your hand, there's some kind of leadership happening there. You and I are going in a particular direction because of the hand we are holding. And spiritually, I think your faith is going a particular direction because of the hand you are holding. And you might be holding several people's hands. Not quite sure. But my challenge to us is, are we holding God's hand, which seems invisible, but are you holding his hand? Because that will lead us into a particular direction. And that is the life that Abraham lived out. This idea of holding someone's hand intentionally. So let's just, just, let's just just jump right into it. Okay, Hebrews 11, can you say Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11, now if you have notes, if you got a Bible, if you're watching online, you're like, I'm ready for notes. Let me just tell you, this sermon is gonna get a little bit, like you're like, you you might learn a little Jewish, okay? Anybody up for that? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I might not pronounce it correctly, we have one Jewish guy on camera, Eli, hey, buddy. But anyways, you can ask him to clarify. Okay? But let's just jump right into Hebrews 11. You guys ready? Okay, you guys are ready. Okay, okay. All right, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 8, it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. Leave what? Home. Leave home. That's very important. If you are marking something, that is one to mark. And go to a, another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went, into, he went without knowing where he was, what, going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, even when he reached that land, he lived there by faith, and he was like a, help me with this word, like a foreigner. Foreigner, I identify with that word. We'll get into it a little bit later. He says, he, even when he got there, he lived by faith as a foreigner living in tents, which is critical, which is intentionally put there. And it says, so did um, Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise, meaning that he was there for not just his lifetime, but for lifetimes. That he was not there in faith just for him, but it was a long period of time the writer is trying to point out here. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with what? Foundations. Yeah, a city designed and built by God. So basically, Paul says in Hebrews, he says, let me talk to you about this, the faith of Abraham and why it's important. And he has listed other people, but for him, he begins to describe certain things that Abraham did. And then he ends with the idea that he was looking forward to, he was in a, in a sense led by a city, he was led by a foundation, he was led by something that God was building. That basically he was like, there, there seems to be in his life this idea that he saw God's hand at work in his life, that God was building something. Now why do you and I lose faith? Why do you and I go, I don't know what's going on in this situation and I'm so filled with fear? When we look at our lives and we look at the relationships and they begin to go a different direction, when we lose relationships and we don't know why, when you see people slipping out of your life and you're like, I really want to not control them, but man, they're making bad choices or I'm not quite sure what they're going to do and you worry about them. 
What does worrying do? It's playing something. It's playing a record. It's playing a movie, in a sense, of an outcome. It's basically saying, okay, I think this is going to happen, so I'm worried about this. And yet Abraham seems to be this guy who sees continually that the hand of God is building something. And so I would just like to think that maybe he just kept on seeing God's hand in everything in his life. Do you and I see God's hand in the things that are affecting us? And if we don't, maybe, just maybe, that's why you have such a hard time believing because you just don't see anymore. And yet, Abraham's faith calls us to, to, to believe. Now, what, is it, what does it look like? Well, what I want to do is I want to take, I want to give you a couple of points, okay? First of all, I say this all the time. Some, sometimes my talks are just talks, okay? They're pointless, okay? There is no points. But today, today is a different day. We're going to have some points, okay? So if you're like, I want, I want to write something down, okay? I think of people like, you know, Lynn Vickery, who's like, give me something to write down. This is for you. This is for you, okay? Okay, first point, first point, okay? Leave home. Leave what? Leave home, leave home. Okay, so let's go into the actual account of what Abraham or Abram did. Genesis 12. Genesis 12, God and him are talking, and, he, and the Lord said to him, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will what? Show you. Now, this is hilarious, but, I mean, just, just, but he starts off by saying, leave home. I want you to leave, leave home. And then he says, I will get, make you uh, into a great what? A great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing uh, to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who, uh, who uh, treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. And Lot, and Lot went with him. Again, if you're taking notes, if you're one of those people, you're like, what is Lot in the story? Lot's in the story for a reason. And Lot went with him. So Abram, what did he do? He, he was 70, oh, ho, ho, what, what? He was how many years old? 75 years old when he left Haran. 75, I'm like, I'm calling it a day. Like at 75, I'm like... At 70, I'm out. I'm good, guys. Like, I don't want to make any road trip. Have you, tr- first of all, okay, with all kinds of respect to all kinds of people, because I just met someone here who's 80-some years old, sweetest lady, okay? But traveling with old people, let's just talk about that. That's just that, right? <laughs> right? I believe, I believe there's a certain age you travel well. If you're a kid, you don't travel well. No, or at least we don't travel well when you're there. How about that? Okay, true confession here. Okay, we're stopping for everything and every time, and someone's pulling something, and what's wrong, and blah, 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 and you're like, I'm gonna throw you out of the car. (laughs) Right? And then you get a good age. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. They can take care of themselves. It's all good. You can control your bodily functions. You're good. (laughs) Then I know I'm getting there, friends. I'm getting older, so I know I'm gonna get to a point where, like, hey, I gotta stop. I, I can't control anything. Okay, so I'm going to be at an age again you can't travel with. Here, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a road trip, but here's the cool thing about it. <laughs> I want you to leave home. Leave home. Like spiritually leave home. I want you to physically leave home. I want you to emotionally leave home. 
For some of us, you're like, uh, what does that look like? In our Western world, it's not like, hey, go to college, oh, get a job, or just move out. Move out and get your own place. It's not, it's not that. It's not like, hey, hey, hey you, you can't, you can't uh, kind of launch out. Just, don't, just move out of our house. No, it's not that. He's saying, I want you to move out of your relatives. I want, I'm going to leave home. Like, don't, don't leave the house. Don't leave the city. No, I want you to leave town. No, no, I'm telling you, you're going to leave the country. The word there when he says home is the Jewish word bedoff. Can you say bedoff? Bedoff. It means your whole like the ability to come back for Thanksgiving. It's like you're leaving, in my language, it's called chandan, which sounds cool, doesn't it? He says, you want to say that? Chandan. You're like, you guys, uh, yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, okay. It's not a cuss word. It's chandan. It's real. It's a real word. Okay, but it's leaving everything. And here's, here's why this is so important, though. Because when he says leave home, he's like, leave everything you know. Leave what you've been building and move. Go. Leave home. And that, my friends, is where we, some of us just stop. We just go, I, no, I'm not leaving what I'm building. Right now, your faith might be calling you to get out of your status, in a sense, your financial status, your relational status, your spiritual status, whatever status you have, and God wants you to leave home. Now, I'm not saying that this is a sign like, okay, you need to just leave. I'm just saying maybe your faith is calling you to, hey, you're getting so comfortable. You're building something yourself. You're, you're surrounded with so much comfort. I think I need you to leave home if you're going to see God work in a profound way in your life. He says, leave your bait off. Leave what keeps you secure. Leave, leave, your dis, leave the sense that you have. And I want you to go. And you might go, man, that is a huge risk. Huge risk, and I get it. I get it. And Abraham got it too. And let me tell you why he got it. When he heard leave home, he knew it was not just, hey, across the street, like leave, leave. The problem with that was is that he was leaving any sense of legacy. Let me explain. So Abraham had two brothers. Okay, uh, let me make sure this is right. Okay, Nahor and Haran. Two brothers. So these guys were three, three, three guys, right? Now, I had two brothers. I'm the, I'm the second one. So Abraham was actually the oldest. All of the, those two brothers, those two brothers had, uh, one of them died, but they had daughters. Now, this is going to get weird because you're like, okay, uh, who is he marrying here? Yeah, it, it got weird here, okay? So that's why when we, when, if you ever heard the story that, that um, Abraham said that that's my that's my sister, I'm related to her and all that. This is where it gets really crazy. Because his oldest brother's daughter, there were two daughters, okay? The two daughters, it was Milka and another woman, girl, Ishka. But Jewish philosophers say that Ishka was really Sarah. So are you with me? So you've got this older brother, I mean, sorry, this younger brother who dies. Oldest brother is Abraham. And when they... When, the, uh, when, the, when the, the dad dies, you've got these two sisters, again, some say there are three. If you read the chapter right before, it says three because Ishka is in there, but people are like, okay, so where does Ishka come from? And if you look at gene genealogy, you go, okay, where does Sarah come from? And all that, how did that work? Uh, they believed it was actually two. And so what happens is, is that Abraham says, hey, 
Um, so he talks to his other brother and he goes, hey, listen, so uh, we need to marry. We need to marry and take to bring them into our house. And he does it. He does it. But Sarah is barren. Now, what's really fascinating about this, friends, and I don't have time to unpack this. In fact, there's a great um, project called the Bema Project. If you're online, I put it on my notes there. You can, they'll give you a link to it. It's called B-E-M-A Project. And they break this down, and it's so profound because they believe, the Jew, they're Jewish philosophers and uh, commentators and scholars, they believe that Abraham knew when he married Sarah that she was barren. And he did this as a sacrifice. So he does this, and I just want you to know the context of what's happening here. So he picks the one who is barren on purpose, but he wants to keep the family together. Abraham was all about family. That is why God, when he tells him, hey, leave and go do this, he promises him all these things connected to family. What does he tell him? He tells him, hey, hey, I will make you like... I'll make you a father of many nations, right? I'll make you, I'll like, I'll, 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 I'm going to give you all kinds of things here. Like, I want you to understand something that, like, I'm going to make you a blessing. Like, I will make you into, into a great nation. He, he says, uh, all the families will be blessed. Can you, can you hear the tone? The, so the benefit, what's the selling point in the sense that God is saying is, hey, if you leave this home, I'm going to give you a bigger family. He knew that Abraham was all about family. And see, if God says, hey, you, go here, and I'm going to give you more kids, I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I know. Thank you. I love my kids. I'm good. I'm good. Some of you guys who have, uh, this one guy texted me the other day, he has seven kids. I was like, how do you have time to text, for number one? How do you have to, I mean, seven kids, son of Wow. Can you guys imagine that? Think for a moment. Families, think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're watching this right now. Two of them are running around. Imagine five more. Oh, my gosh. This would be a curse, not a blessing. Why is it a blessing for Abraham? Because he wanted that. That's what he wanted. And God's saying, I want you to leave home. Here's the big point in all of this. He had a lot to lose, friends. Leaving home requires you and I to know that God knows how hard it would be for you to leave. And it, that's why it says Lot went with him. You know why Lot went with him? Because he was like, okay, if God's going to give me a great nation, he's going to be a family, he's going to be another family there, I better take someone who can provide kids. That's why he took Lot. He didn't, couldn't even imagine how God would bless him. No miraculous thing. He wasn't in that world, and we don't either. Is God calling you to leave home? This is the biggest point right here. Because some of us, you're not going to. You're not, gonna, you're not going to until, until you realize that, man, you see God's hand at work in your life. Is he calling you to do that? He understands. Your fallback plan that you're working on right now, yeah, could you, would you leave that? Would you leave your khandan? Would you leave your off. And then, this is what's crazy. What is, the, what is the thing? It says here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the land. I want you to go to the land that what? I will what? Show you. Which is like, where are we going? You'll see when you get there. That is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> right? That is the worst thing in the world. It's the worst thing. Have you ever done that with maps in your car? Just wherever you get there. Like, no, you've got to have a destination. 
you got to have a destination to get there. And God's like, hey, let's go. Where are we going? I'll tell you what. Just, let's just go with me. Just go with me. Just go with me. Just, just keep on going. It is the worst thing. But again and again, God says, hey, I want you to just, just go. Just come on. Like, it, basically, God says, I want you to go in this direction and don't worry about the destination. How many of us like to be blindfolded? Anybody? No one. If you are, I've got to talk to you about this. Okay? I've got to talk to you. I don't like, I don't like it. I don't like it. Like, the, I've seen people blindfolded. And surprise! First of all, I don't even like surprises. Okay? Because I'm always, like, disappointed. I mean, I just am, okay? That's my, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. Not that it has happened. I'm just, like, I've been around. I'm like, ah, where are we going? The other problem is when you blindfold me and you take me, I can figure it out. How many of you can figure it out? You're like, I know, I know. I'm Sherlock Holmes. I know, I know. Like, you can figure stuff out. Surprises. But with God, always there seems to be a surprise. God always seems to say, hey, I want you to leave here. Go there. Where are we going? You'll find out. It's going to be awesome. See, don't tell me it's going to be awesome because awesome is not a destination. I just need to know where. I just need to know where. And he says, I'm, I'm going to show you. 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 What's interesting about being blindfolded is it requires immense amount of trust in the other person. I mean, if you're holding someone's hand and you're seeing where they're going, that's one thing. If you're holding someone's hand and you don't know, you don't know where you're going. What is that? The only thing you can do is either trust or not trust them. And it seems that with God, he always says, I just want you to trust me. Tell me where I'm going. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Because I, 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 don't, I don't think you could understand where you're going to end up. I don't think you can. You, if I, even if I told you, you wouldn't understand it. If I, if I gave the answer to that question, you'll have so many more questions. For example, the way we understand this is this. If you have anybody in, in any industry, art, uh, education, um, uh, entertainment, business, if you, there are people in your life like that that you admire, those people in your world. You're like, I admire this person. If you were to sit down with them and say, hey, how, how did you get to this moment? When did you decide that you were going to get here? Would they have an answer? No. They would not have an answer. They would most likely say, I did not know I would be here. Wow. I did not know I would be doing this. But, uh, you know, being, being this, having this kind of opportunity. I never thought of this level of success. I never thought of getting here in this moment. And if you were asking, so how did you get to this moment in this place in your career? The only thing they would say is, I just went in a particular direction. They just went in a particular direction. They just kept on moving forward. And it changed directions, but they just kept on going in a particular direction. I think some of us, our faith is connected to the fact that we have stopped. We're not moving until God shows us something. And that, my friend, is what's going to paralyze you. It's paralyzing because God doesn't show you. He just says, I want you to move. I want you to just go this particular direction. So could God be speaking to you today about this? Third point, live in, live in insecurity. Yeah, live in insecurity. Now, it's not cool to say that, but do you remember what, do you remember what uh, Hebrews uh, 
uh, reads it, how does it say? It says, it says that, it says that Abraham, Abraham, when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a like a foreigner living in tents. And then it says, it explains the the generation that actually lived in that continual state. I want you to understand something, and this might be a little bit more deeper than maybe you're used to, but I want you to know that part of going after God and following him and holding on to this invisible hand and moving in a particular direction is continually managing the tension of anxiety and the level of anxiety in your life. Because if you're going to move towards God, you're going to have to decide to live in continual insecurity. An insecurity, and you're like, okay, this is not the message I want to listen to. But I will tell you right now, it is the message in the scriptures. There is always a sense of insecurity. Not like, like uh, because, because there's a sense of I'm not quite sure. The reason why the writer says, hey, he lived as a foreigner, because foreigners understand what it means to live in insecurity. Now, we have this thing called national, what, security, right? What is it basically? The concept is it provides the nationals of that country, what? Security. So national security is for the nationals. Foreigners get insecurity. They don't get that. Now, I identify with that because I've lived as a foreigner for most of my life. Like, I grew up in Kuwait, but my parents are Pakistani. So we were expats, as expatriates, as in we were not, by law, um, had any ownership to that land. Just because I was born there, I still couldn't own anything there. Most of the Arab world lives like that. You are consi consistently a foreigner living there. You're consistently, in a sense, living in tents. And I understood living in tents because the metaphor right there is, is that like you don't have a place to like settle down and settle down, and this is it, and we're not moving, and we're not going anywhere. It's this idea of like in, in Kuwait, in the Middle East, you are there as a foreigner because someone sponsors you. And as soon as they stop sponsoring you, you got to pick up your tent and go back home. So there's a level of insecurity. There's a level of security when you are in a country that says, I am its citizen and I'm here to stay. And when people are here to stay, they build things, they settle down, they go, this is it, this is it, and we start building stuff. But foreigners don't do that. Foreigners live and they work a certain place and then they go and they work a certain place and they don't have, they don't have this mentality of building buildings, but living in what? Tents. And spiritually, friends, if you and I move to a place of just wanting to settle and build buildings, we will end up with so much more religious institutions because that's what has happened. People have moved into a place and settled, and they go, this is my security, this is what I believe, and you guys are wrong, so is the, so, and you are wrong, and you're wrong, and they are so confident in their theology and doctrine. That's why some of you, you're like, that's why I like this place. You know why? Because you, like, you're, you guys are foreigners. Because you like your spiritual backpacking. You're like, oh, you know what? I, don't, I've, we, I lived in this. And you, and you build some things, and you're like, this, th th there's a sense of security, but it's hollow. And then the, the, the scriptures tell us that Abraham held God's hand, moved in a place where he continued to live as a foreigner. Not just him, but his kids and his kids. 
for generations. They lived as foreigners. I think there's so much power in understanding that. Knowing, 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 knowing truly that this world is not it. Like, this isn't it. If you're like, this is it, this isn't it. This isn't it. Like, this is but a fraction of your life. Like, there's going to be a time in eternity that you're going to be like, you remember when we were on earth? (laughs) What was that all about? (laughs) This is so much better, by the way. There's going to be, you're going to forget the things that are worrying you to death. This, this is but a moment. That's why the writer continues, continues to say, hey, 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 I just want you to know. I just want you to know. In Philippians, he says, we are citizens of another world. We are just, what? Passing through. First Peter, Peter says this. He says, we are, we are temporary residents. We're not here forever. And so he says, a life of faith says, I'm going to live in this perpetual sense of insecurity. Not that God's not faithful. No, not at all. But I'm not going to put walls up and build something for myself to keep me secure. I'm going to continually move in my faith. So if you find someone that is just so secure in their faith, chances are they have a very small world. They have a very small world. But people who are moving with God are continually insecure. They're like, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what's going on. It's fun, though. I don't know how it's going to work out. I have no idea. Because you're the ones hoping for something that is invisible. It's bigger than them. So, so, what does that mean? That means for some of us, we have to leave home. For others of us, that means you've got to head to somewhere. Not there, but somewhere. You've got to move. And for some of us, it means, all right, can you choose to live in a sense of, I'm not quite sure. I'm insecure. But you might, you might go, I just want to settle. I just want to settle. Do you really want to settle spiritually? Do you? I mean, I know a lot of people who have. But with Jesus, it's never that. You're never, you're moving. You're, we're, we're moving forward. We're going, we're going. How did he see this? How did Abraham see this? How did he do this? He saw God's hand. He, got, he saw God's hand. He saw God's hand because it was the hand that he was holding. Because we are what? We are led by the hand we what? We hold. And he was, he was, he was led by God. Here's what's interesting. In Genesis 12, this is a very profound thing that, uh, that Abraham does. He leaves, he experiences all those things, and he, then God shows him a land, and it's all oh, so complicated to get there. You and I know the struggle, but th- this passage is very interesting. Uh, verse tw- uh, chapter 12, verse 7 in Genesis, he says this, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land, um, this land to your descendants. And Abram built built and what? Help me out. An altar there and dedicated to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar. Now, if you follow the Jewish kind of story of creation, 
Jewish minds right there, this is the first time an altar is being built to God and not to people. Because the history of the Jewish people with Bill is when they settle, they build altars of themselves. The tower, the tower of Babel was one of those. They always continue to do that. When we settle, humanity settles, what happens? Sky rises, what? They go up. That's just how we do stuff. Here, fundamentally, Abraham's faith causes him to do something that is very different. I just want you to know that. He builds an altar to an invisible God, and he builds a reminder, and the remind, this altar is not like ordained, or it's not like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. No, it's basically rocks. And if you've ever heard of the term Ebenezer rocks, it's like rem rocks of remembrance. And he built, this is the first time he built this altar, and this is what happens. And then you see Jewish people begin to build altars everywhere they go. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because building an altar to the Lord was, I am going to write this down, I'm going to put this in place to remember God was faithful. For some of us, it's not because you have lost faith. It is you have forgotten. You've forgotten how good God is. You haven't, you have, you, you haven't lost your trust. You've just lost your memory. You just don't remember. But if you and I would make, make sure we write down and make sure we built these altars in a sense, and it could be anything, a reminder, a journal, a something, I'm not quite sure, you pick a stone, something to say, I remember, and I will always remember when God showed up here. I will always remember when God showed up here. Could you imagine if you had all these altars of remembrance, how strong your faith would be? Because here's, here's the thing, when you are moving, being led by an invisible hand, you have only but altars to remind you. Because you look back and go, I remember that, I remember that, oh, I remember this, or I remember this, or I remember that, or I remember this. Let's take a picture of this, let's remember that, let's remember this. And when you remember, you move forward with God. So my question is, man, would you create an altar? Would you, would you do that? Would you do that? Now, for us as a church, we've been in a conversation about this idea of like us wanting to do some invisible, amazing, oh my God stuff. And that means us raising half a million dollars. And this is the first campaign we've done since COVID. Now, we've done amazing campaigns and that people have give, given generously. And let me just tell you, you're sitting in an altar of remembrance. You're sitting in an altar. Because every wall in this space, friends, is covered in Scripture. Before everybody else came and the, con the construction crew came in to build, we put Scripture in all the sheetrock and all the framing. This was an altar to remember God was faithful and is faithful. And so we want to build another thing. And this, this is something that, that I believe that God is calling us to. But, it, it, man, it, 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 it's causing me to live in insecurity all day long. <laughs> so, anyways, we have a video, um, and this video will show you what we're thinking about. Maybe you've seen it before, but let's, let's cue the video. Let's watch this for a second. 
All right, so here we are. Yes, what is this place? You're probably wondering. Let me show you around. Uh, you see all these cars, you see all these trucks. Uh, what about all this stuff? You're like, what is this? Uh, by the way, is that your Porsche name? No, it's not. I wish, still praying about that one, but no, it's not. All this stuff actually belongs to different people because we've been able to use this space. And by the way, this is Mosaic space. We were. We got this in the middle of a pandemic and then turned it into a big storage unit, basically for people to rent out and put their stuff here. And so this has been really great because it was a solution to a problem that our community, our city has because people need a place like this. This was not the only place during the pandemic that we use strategically. We've used all our facilities in a very practical way to serve the needs for our community. So check out what the Hope Center looks like during the week. Check out the foyer. Look at this. I mean, did you know that it looked like that? How about, let's go to the classroom, the kids' classroom. Look at this, look at all that stuff. What's going on here? Look at the auditorium. Let's look at the loft here. Wow, what's going on? Well, what's going on is that there's a Montessori school that rents out our facility and they meet here. And they will meet, then we clean it all up for the weekend. Yes, it seems like a lot of stuff. And guess what? It is. In fact, do you remember our generation, next generation space? Yes, we uh, converted that space. And now let me show you this. Yeah, the school uses this as well. In fact, other churches uses our facilities, organizations use our facilities. And in the middle of the pandemic, we were able to actually help launch two other churches because we use our facilities for good. Well, why am I telling you all of this? Because, because what I am standing in right now, we want to turn into a gymnasium. Yes, see a gymnasium for our community to use for different kinds of sports, volleyball, soccer, basketball. And we've got a school that wants to partner with us. So how do you and I step into this? How do we partner? Well, we want to raise a half a million dollars. Yes, 500K people. Yes, we want to do this, and I think we really can. Actually, I know, I know we can if we do it together. And so I want you to partner with us and let's invest in the future and let's be the church that creates spaces, not just for ourselves, but for other people. In fact, we want to actually go after another space as well. I know you're like, what are you doing? Well, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a hope center and we want to be the epicenter of hope for our city and yes, even for our world. So join us. Man, yeah, so it's exciting. Uh, it is exciting. It is uh, definitely something that we are convinced that God is calling us to do, but it takes all of us. So let me just tell you this, uh, not, uh, not next weekend, but the weekend after, November 20th, uh, we want you to pray to that end and commit to a certain amount that you could say, hey, I can commit to a monthly amount, and we start this campaign, and we see what we can do together. This is a card. You probably found this in front of your seats. Um, you can go online as well, and uh, you can start... Um, you can start giving, but I want you to just pray. 
See, the thing is, is that I, I, I don't want to, us to, to just kind of go, okay, we need the money and let's pass the plate. And we don't do that in Mosaic. Uh, we want you to pray about what is God saying to you? How can you be a part of this conversation? Uh, what does God want to do in you and through you with this? Uh, what does that look like? And I know that for so many of us, we find ourselves in a place where like, I'm not quite sure what God wants me to do. And that's why we just want to pray. That's why we're saying, hey, take these, the, 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 these weeks that we've talking about, the, the series to pray and pray and pray. And then November 20th, we commit to uh, an amount and we say, hey, pray with your families, your friends. And we commit to an amount that says, hey, this is beyond, this is beyond my imagination. Like, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to do it together. And the good thing about this is, that, guys, we're going to go for it. Okay, we're just going to go for it and see what happens. So you're like, oh, man, I want to pray about this amount, but I'm not quite sure what happens if we don't make this. We're going to come after you? No, there's no, there's nothing. There's nothing, okay? There's no, there's, it's just an opportunity to see God working profoundly in your life. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for what we've talked about this morning, and then um, we're going to do one more song in response. When we stand together, right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for who you are, and what you've done in our life. God, I know that for some of us, we walked in here and um, we are in a very different space. We find ourselves a little bit lonely, honestly. We find ourselves lonely because we seem just alone. For the very first time in our lives, in this season, we just find ourselves alone. Don't know why. God, I pray that uh, we would be reminded today that you hold our hand. God, for some of us, we need that. We desperately need that. For others of us, God, it, it overwhelms us to leave home, to go to a place where we do not know and to live in a constant state of insecurity, but yet very, very secure in your love. So God, I pray that as you move us forward in this adventure that you have, I do pray, God, you would erase the boundaries that we put around us. That you would, God, expand our imagination you would activate our faith, God. You would as we move. So God, I pray you speak to us as you respond this morning. I pray that we would be able to remember even this moment and set a marker that you spoke to us on this day, on this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let's respond together. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.